G'day legends and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight is our only podcast member who's not in Australia, Liam. How you doing Liam? Yeah, well, I guess you could call this the Socceroos shot a wee bit of overcompensation, couldn't you? I am That's... insanely jealous of what you guys are going to have in the next few days in Australia, I've got to tell you. Yeah, that's why I was about to make a joke about, you know, he's not in Australia, <laughs> but, you know, he's rocking the Australia top, so he's getting on the bandwagon for the World Cup. Happy yep. days. Uh, yeah, next few days is going to be interesting. Like, Shane's just got up there into Sydney, the Salvo. Uh, Willie, who's one of the admins on our Facebook group, he's um, come over from New Zealand for it, and he got in there. And Excellent. As he got there, the, uh, the Celtic team bus drove past him. So there you go. It's a sign that he was meant to be there. So his wife looked after him pretty good with um, a nice surprise trip over. So enjoy yourself, guys. And then you've got John, me, and Sean are all hitting Sydney on the weekend. So we're not going to the, the Sydney FC game, but we'll all be there for the Everton one. So it's exciting times. Haven't seen Celtic play live since 2011. Can't wait. I'll be there in spirit, mate, but I'll have to wait until Saturday night to decide if that spirit is going to be whiskey or vodka. <laughs> Don't worry, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll FaceTime you from the game just, just to rub it in together. Oh, I absolutely. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> all right. So everyone tuning in, all, all one of you at the moment. There we go. Now we've got the five. We're getting people on. Happy days. Yay. But, um, yeah, I thought we'd have a bit of a low turnout tonight because, you know, everyone's in Sydney you know, with the Super Cup, there's fan events, all that sort of stuff. So the locals over here aren't there. But, you know, we've got a few games to discuss. Motherwell and the Ross County game. We've got a couple of things to talk about, like the Super Cup and all that sort of stuff. But And then we've got some Twitter questions that were sent through because we put out a tweet about a Q&A. But if you've got any questions you want us to answer, just bang them in the comments section there. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll answer them later on as well. So... First thing on the list, though, Liam. There was mm. a there's been some a whole bunch of misinformation bouncing around the Celtic Facebook groups and on Twitter about Ange being linked with a Japanese national team. He's also been linked with the Everton job, which Frank Lampard's still in the chair at the moment. Now, do we have anything to worry about? First of all, no. Um... Okay, warning everybody, rant incoming. I'm going to take a wee sip of my beer before I say this. That um, story linking Ange with the Japan job is a classic example of journalists and wannabe journalists putting two and three together and coming up with 1888. (laughs) Um, Basically, the report which... uh, which Shane was good enough to, to share in our, our chat group the other day, um, was completely in Japanese. And obviously someone has just ran it through Google Translate and has not taken any of the context into account. Um, because without getting too technical, Japanese is a very contextual language. And if you don't understand the kind of inferred meaning as well as the literal meaning, things can totally not make sense when you translate them, right? But basically, whoever translated this read this article and took away from it that uh, Moriyasu, the Japan manager, is going to get bagged after the World Cup and Ange is being lined up by the JFA to replace him. Uh, The answer to the first question is maybe, and the answer to the second question is absolutely not. Um, Moriyasu may well leave the Japan job after the World Cup, but personally, I don't think he will because... um, the JFA would be stupid to sack anybody for coming third in a group that's got Germany and Spain in it, for starters. Um, you know, that, that Ange, Ange and any other reasonable manager is not going to want to go to a place that's got such unrealistic expectations to begin with. Um, I'm going to bring the, um, the post up that you're talking about. I've just grabbed it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yes, I don't know. this is the thing here. That's now, the one that everyone's saying, so that we can't make sense of what it says, you and me, like based right. on this. But, I yeah. will... Um, I'll translate the headline, right? So you see there the yellow... Now, remember, Japanese reads um, from from right to left, right? So right the yellow... Right tra- to top, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, aye, aye. Aye, sorry, top to bottom, left, uh, le- uh, right to left, right? Yep. So the yellow characters read, um, uh, basically, who's going to be the next manager 
after Moriyasu, which is the blue characters, this is Moriyasu's name, and then those three big green characters mean foreigner. So basically, the whole thing says, if Moriyasu gets, goes, goes, could it be a foreigner next? That's what the headline says. Doesn't mention Ange at all. Now, the sidebar mentions men, mentions Postecoglou by name, um, but if you actually read the article, which my uh, my good my good wife was kind enough to, to find for me, um, it says uh, that uh, basically, if Moriyasu leaves, which you know I I think it's fifty fifty to be honest, depending on how Japan do it. If if he somehow gets out that group, then they'll they'll give him a contract for life if he wants it, right? Um, but if Moriyasu leaves, the JFA might hire a foreigner next. And if they do, Ange is the sort of guy they would look for. That is what that story actually says. There is nothing in it at all that directly links Ange with the JFA or that quotes any JFA source saying they've approached Ange. It's complete and utter manufactured nonsense. So in other words... It's pish. Yep. I'm not quite sure what the Japanese is for utter pish, but I'll get back to you on that one. Cool. Happy days. You know what the funniest thing is? After all that, Liam, that you were saying, I'm just going to bring the picture back up again. Mm-hmm. Only thing on here that looks funny is the editing job they've put with the Ange next to Moriasu in the pictures. They've edited it well that it looks like Ange is holding his hand. <laughs> now, for my take on it, from what I'm hearing, like, what you're saying is great to hear because, yeah, I didn't don't think he's, he'd make that step back. He's wanted to go into Europe for years. He's finally over there doing doing himself well, doing himself proud, and building a career for himself in Europe. Yeah, the fact that he'd make the step back to Japan, which he's just left eighteen months ago, wouldn't surprise me. But it's not for now. He has also said in the past that one of his goals was to manage the Greek national team. Mm. So. I can't see him coming back to Australia to coach the Socceroos again, which is actually a question that we got for our Q&A. So, whoops, my bad. um, (laughs) The Greek Greek national team, I could see him doing that because the whole talk was, yeah, he wanted to do that for his dad because, you know, and that's where he was born. So that's something on his bucket list. But I don't really see that happening any time over here. So, yeah, that's no real... No real issue there. I think Ange will be fine staying where he is. Now, the rumours of the Everton one, that's just lazy journalism, let's be honest. It's going to be random links to different to different clubs all the time now, the same way we copped it for two years with Brendan Rodgers, that any time yeah. a club in England has a stumble in form, has a, uh, you know any sort of change or whatever, then he's going to be linked. So, yeah, yeah, I can't I would, see it. I would just say to the, sorry, I would just say to anyone that's listening, just prepare yourselves. Any English Premier League job that comes up in the next couple of years, Ange's going to get linked to it. As long as he's at Celtic, that's going to keep happening. Well, yeah. sorry, as long as he's at Celtic and we keep winning, that's going to keep happening. Um, yeah. yeah, so what I was going to say is like, I don't see him going to a club like Everton. Like, no. A few reasons. The romantic in Ange is as a kid he was growing up, he had pictures of Kenny Delgleish on his wall. He's a died-in-the-wool Liverpool fan. When he was managing Melbourne Victory, he coached against Liverpool at the MCG in front of almost 100,000 fans. And he said then that his bucket list would be something he would love to do, would be able to just manage a game at Anfield, or even if that's against him. I can't see him going to the local rivals of Liverpool and going no. to Everton. Just can't see it happening. But nah, if he nah. was to leave us in the future, then yeah. May I think he'd be going to something that's definitely European level. I don't I don't know. I just don't see it at that club, so I'm not worried about either of them. So yeah, we'll just go through a few comments here. Michael Ross, hail, hail my upside down boys. You know it. Absolutely, hail, hail, buddy. Upside down and back to front here in Japan. Yes, there he is. Um, Morning, Sid. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. 
and Paul Brennigan. Champions League is Andrew's holy grail, 100%. Mm. He's such yep. a competitor. I don't really see him giving up the chance to build something. He's won the league. The next step for him is to build his legacy, build something that's going to last a long time and be spoken about as highly as a, a Martin O'Neill or a, you know, it's not, it's going to take a lot to get into the, you know, the Jock Steen sort of thing, but to build a legacy at Celtic, not just in, in the Scottish league, but also in Europe. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's I mean, where the goal's got to be. If you assume that the pinnacle of club football is the Champions League, which it is, right, and the pinnacle of international football is the World Cup, um, realistically, the best Ange could ever hope to do with a country like Japan or Greece, with all due respect, is probably get to the second round. That's the best that you could hope for for a country of that standing at the moment. Um, Celtic, could we go to the last 16 or beyond in the Champions League? It's tough, but I think it's a more likely scenario than getting beyond the second round in the World Cup with a, a team like Japan. I so, agree with you on that, yeah. There's definitely more potential for growth at Celtic than there is in either of those two national team jobs that we've quoted. Michael's come here saying Andrew's already stated he's not interested in the Japan job, or so the reports say. Yeah, he's he's already forward planning. He knows which players he wants going into the into the January transfer window. Uh, the only thing that may change will be if someone does well at the World Cup and moves on, then he's got a list of two or three players for it. Go and get one of them to plug him plug him in and upgrade the team. So he's already and, and you'll be watching the Japan games. I think they'll be interested in the team. We'll be watching the games to see which players he can poach in January. Yeah, um, it's not just that though. He'll also be he'll be watching it for that. Yeah, but he'll also be watching, you know, club, Korea. He's spoken about players from Iran in the past. He'll mm-hmm. be watching all these these countries. He's got some some knowledge of, and just having a look at them and going, oh yeah, this is one to add to my list. Here's one to add to my list to be scouted, and then pass that list on to. You know, uh, young Lawwell now is in the door, and um, and Tosh is a scout, and tell him to go have a look at these guys and give us some reports. Yeah, I mean that that's our um, that's our advantage with a guy like Ange. He has the truly global perspective, and he's not got that bias that perhaps an English or a German coach might have in that he's only going to look at the major European leagues, like you say. Yeah. The Places Euros like Iran, Israel, Japan, you know. Yeah, it's the old Euro snobbery, as it's called over here. Aye. Fun times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so got a, another thing I want to bring up before we'll jump onto the games that we played, but it's a drinking license at Celtic Park the other day. What the hell's going on? See that? Ooh. I didn't see that, actually. What, what was the story? Apparently, we got... um. Permission to have some drinks in the stadium before kickoff. Right. Progress. That was an uh, interesting thing to see, considering, you know, all the talk for years. So I put that on the on the run sheet just because I wanted to get Sean's reaction if he was on. But you know, he's got to look after his any his kids. So um, all good. No, it's an interesting one. The I mean the thing the the, the great argument that I hear in. In Scotland, certainly, is that well, people that go to the rugby can do it, so why can't people that go to the football? It's um, it's classism. Apart from anything else, because yeah. you know, rugby is a predominantly middle class sport, and you know, football is a working class sport, and the working class people aren't allowed a pint at the game, but the middle class people are. That's you know, that, that stinks, quite frankly. Yep. I have to agree with you. I was trying to come up with a, a witty comment to make about that, but but Bill, I failed on that front. So anyway, <laughs> as my dad used to say, "I'll do the joke, son." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! So we're fifteen minutes in, and the magical three-letter word has not been mentioned yet. Do you know which one I'm talking about, Liam? Yes, I do. It starts with a V and ends with a referee's fuck up. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Correct. 100%. Yes. So, 
the thing is, we've got two games we played. We don't really need to go into too much detail on them. Celtic mm. 2, Motherwell 1. I, normally, we'd talk about the overall performance, who scored the goals, referees and the VAR issues, blah, blah, blah. Focus on a couple of players, all the usual. But coming out of it, like you look at it and it was Kyogo scored in the 15th minute, Maeda scored in the 84th, and then Motherwell scored in the 86th minute. Still got the three points. And the main talking point coming out of that game was a VAR situation for an apparent offside goal. Yeah, it looked like the line was drawn on by crayon on the screen, wobbly all over the joint. They, mm. they got some kinder kid to draw it on the screen for them or something like that. It was, and the camera mm. they used was absolute watch job. Like, so we had that situation. Then we go into the game against Ross County. Nice uh, 2-1 win again there with Turnbull, Haksabanovic after a penalty. And all the talk after that again is VAR because of a dodgy penalty yet again. So it's I feel like it's a broken record. Like we can keep talking about it. But at the end of the day, it's just these idiots in control have no comprehension of what is going on and what they're doing. And I'm finding it frustrating because all the talk about VAR being this great, great thing coming into Scottish football, well, we mentioned before it all happened on here, didn't we, Liam, that, you know... Not the silver bullet. It's not going to cure everything. It's... Okay, VAR's good for if the system set up is good and you actually have permanent VAR people that specialise in that. But mm-hmm. when you've got the standard of refereeing and then you've got those same people in the VAR box and they're not calling the refs over, to, particularly for the, the handball on O'Reilly, to go and review that and go, actually, that's not a handball, that's not a penalty then it's just just a shambles. Like, it makes no sense at all. No, I mean, the, the, the thing is, and this it's very important that we, we fight this narrative, right, because the growing narrative now, and I don't, I don't blame a lot of Celtic fans for saying this, right, because it's Celtic fans and fans of other teams that are saying this, is it was better before we had VAR. VAR is just a complete screw-up, and it's just a case of, like, how can we disadvantage Celtic today? Or how can we give Rangers a penalty today? Um, basically. Um, but it's important to remember, VAR is not the problem. Right? Um, to use quite a graphic example, uh, you don't charge a gun with murder. You charge the guy that fired it. Right? So, um, it's the person in control of the thing that is the problem, not VAR itself. So, I, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but I do genuinely wonder, are these referees deliberately botching this so badly, knowing that there's going to be the backlash and they're going to say, do you know what? Scotland isn't ready for VAR. Let's look at it again in five years. I actually said that last week, Liam. I said that last week and I said it going in that I could see the fix being in and that, you know, we all know the referees association didn't want it. So they voted against it, but they got outvoted by the clubs and everything. So it's like it, I thought they were deliberately going to botch it so that, you know, everyone will be like, oh, it was better without it. Let's get rid and they'll get their way. And what we've got to do is we have to absolutely double down and triple down on it and, um, you know, make sure we get it implemented properly. Yeah, yeah. Um I uh, I heard quite a good uh, quite a good comment through the week there. Um, I can't apologies. I can't remember who said it, but it stuck out to me as a brilliant comment on one of the um, one of the Axon shows. Um, somebody said uh, Celtic should just keep the powder dry and just build a dossier of every single ba- every single erroneous decision that comes from VAR or comes from VAR not being consulted when it should be between now and the end of the season. 
and we could hit them with a book that is thicker than the Bible by the end of the season. I tell you, the way, the way things are going. <laughs> what's funny, right, is, you know, um, what's the Hearts manager's name? Robbie Nelson, isn't it? Aye. aye. He's such a anti-Glasgow sort of bloke. Like, I was listening to him in the post-match press on BBC's coverage, right? And he's like, oh, these these results, like we're in the stadium, it takes one thing to look and then it's, a, it's two or three looks and you get on with it. But no, they've got to send it back to Glasgow. They've got to send it back to Glasgow. You mentioned that two or three times and I'm sitting there going, mate, it's not a Glasgow east or west of Scotland problem. It's an incompetence of the referees problem. Mm. And it's a deference to the Huns problem as well. You know, let, let's call yeah. a spade a spade here. So I'll bring up um, some comments on this then. Edward, why have Oz? Vars causing more problems than it solves. Yeah. And then he's followed that up with refs need to be mic'd up and explain their decision so public is educated. Good luck with that. We tried to have a ref mic'd up over here in the A-League. Yeah. And FIFA the day before jumped up and down and said, you can't do that because it goes against some of the, the the rules that they've got over there because of interpretations and all that sort of stuff. They ended up letting the ref do it, but they mm. couldn't for when he was last game in the league, but he couldn't actually release what was happening. Like it's hang on, I'm gonna try and word it probably. They didn't release it until six months after and he'd moved on from the league. Now with the refs being mic'd up, Edward, I want to know, are you saying, like in the rugby, for instance, that if they go to the, like, the bunker, the rugby league or the rugby union, then you can hear what the bunker or the people reviewing it are saying? Are you talking about that? Or are you talking about be able to hear the refs throughout the whole game? Because there's two separate ways to look at it. If it's just for the bunker situation when it goes to the VAR, yeah, like a bunker. Okay, that's what you're saying. Cool. If it's like a bunker, it makes sense. If the ref goes over to look at the at the screen, then fine, put them through the tannoy in the stadium so everyone can hear what's going on and being said between the two of them. Great. Mm. But if it's for the whole game, FIFA won't let that happen. Yeah, the only thing referees fear more than Celtic winning the league is accountability. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, Liam, um, is- I would like the rugby. I'd like the rugby version. I would like the fully mic'd up explaining every decision. I I think that's the way to go, because rugby referees get respect because they give respect to fans and players. You know what I'd like? It's going to sound weird, but I wouldn't necessarily like that. Although, if you had the sportsies in or whatever, and you could hear what they're talking about, fine, it does make sense. I've got a mate I sit with at the Melbourne Storm games in the rugby league here, and. He's um he has his sports here things in so he can hear the talk in the bunker when we can't hear it in the crowd and he's always like this is what they're looking at or that's what they're looking at I'm like oh, okay cool that makes sense so I understand the reason for that what I would rather is don't give us that because that's only going to help the people at home who are watching mm-hmm. the game there because most stadiums are not going to play it through the sound system in the whole stadium are they no no so for that reason I want to say. The managers after the game and the man of the match and the captains have to go get interviewed. Let's get the referees getting interviewed post-game. You're going to make that decision and then front up and go, I've called that deci- that handball against Matt O'Reilly because his hand was over the line, blah, 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 and double down on what you saw. That's what I want to see. Put them in the gun. If, play- if players and managers can lose wages and bonuses and be fired – Managers getting fired or players. If your team gets promoted, your wage will go up. If you get if you get relegated, you're going to have a relegation clause in there. You lose some wages. So players are financially going to cop it. I'd love to see the referees cop that. Have to run up to the press. Yeah, that's the thing. People keep saying we need professional referees. Aye, fine. But if we're going to have professional referees, I want professional levels of accountability. Yep. End of the day, if I make a massive screw up in my job, I can expect to get reprimanded. And if I do it again, I can expect to get fired. That's the same with pretty much everybody in any job. But referees, um, the minute we even question them, they're all out on strike. Um, No, make them professional, but make them professionally accountable and sackable as well. 
So we've got one here for you. Work experience ref in the Ross County game didn't help matters. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then we got this comment here from Michael Ross. It's not incompetence, it's blatant cheating. Same few individuals officiating our games, they need to be investigated. I mean, there's two schools of thought there. Michael raises a good point. Um, there is two schools of thought there. Is it incompetence or is it conspiracy? And, you know, a friend of mine once said, never put down to malevolence what you can put down to incompetence. But, but that only goes so far. And what I would say is, I don't necessarily 100% agree with what Michael's saying, but based on the evidence that has been presented by the referee's actions in the past month, it's easy to draw that conclusion. So Michael's followed up with, VAR has made the incompetence cheating more obvious. Exactly. And yes, it has. But where VAR is supposed to work is if there's something that is incompetence or incorrect, they're supposed to be pulled up on it and come, wait, come have a look at this, not just let it go through. I think a lot of it is arrogance because I think a lot of these referees are extremely arrogant characters. If you look at the way they talk to the players and talk to managers, it's yeah. like a headmaster talking to a child. Um, talk to me like I'm a little kid. Yeah, and it's like you know, as I've said, as I said before on the show, if I spoke to my students the way referees speak to players, I would get in trouble because teachers are not supposed to treat kids with that level of disrespect. Um, and that's. That's that's part of the problem, is there's this arrogance with the referees that I think they don't like going to VAR when they're refereeing Celtic because they don't like the idea that 50,000 Celtic fans might be right and they might be wrong. Morning, Martin. And Morning. Michael, Michael hears the answer to no one, the refs. Yep, for the time being, he's right. It's all the secretive clandestine referees association, which needs to be ripped out and replaced with something completely transparent, accountable and replaceable. So Vanessa put a comment in here before Rangers get a peno nearly every game. Hmm. So with that in mind, yes, correct. But there's a little dossier thing floating around as I've seen. So, this is the, the vast incidents that have happened so far. Since it's come in for Rangers, there's been four incidents that have gone to the VAR for them. That's it. So against yeah. Livingston was a red card, and the reason the red card, VAR upgraded a yellow card on a Livy player to a red card. So one went their way. The mm-hmm. second thing that went to it against Aberdeen, a handball. It was given a penalty. Two in their favour mm-hmm. against Hearts, handball by Rangers player in the box. In the box, VAR not checked, no penalty. So that's an obvious error that should have been reviewed compared to what's happening elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then against St Mirren, Kent booking rescinded and penalty awarded. So that's a fourth one in their favour. So all four incidents, how it could have played out, have gone Rangers' way. Then you look at us. How many things do you reckon in the same situation have we had since it's come in? Off the top of my head, the only one I can think of is the penalty, which Giacomacchus subsequently missed. 13 incidents. Yeah. So against Hearts, handball, penalty against. Hearts, foul, penalty. Hearts, goal disallowed, offside because the whistle was blown early, so that stopped VAR getting involved. Against Hearts, a penalty retake for an encroachment by a Celtic player. Against Hearts, a penalty not retaken for an encroachment by a Hearts player. And then Hearts, penalty not given for a handball. So we're 0 for 6 at that point (laughs) in one game. Hmm. And against Livy, the one thing that went in our favour. Handball, we get the penalty to go 2-0 up. Against Dundee United, there was a handball penalty against us. And then there was a boot at a player's face height. Not even reviewed, no no card. Should have been a red card. Then you go to the Motherwell game. Goal disallowed for offside from that crayon line that we were talking about before. 
And the tackle on Starfelt, no red card given. Hmm. And then you've got the two against Ross County on the weekend, handball, penalty given against us. Yeah. And against Ross County, there was the pushing on Ralston in the box. Should have been not reviewed even, at least. Yeah. I don't think that one should have been a penalty, but I think it should have at least been looked at based on everything else. So yeah. Rangers Rangers are four for four of any things <laughs> that have happened in that time. Yeah. We're we're one of thirteen in our favour. That's why so many Celtic fans are up in arms about all of it. And also the one that was given was late on in the game when we were already winning comfortably, which naturally makes it easier to give the ref for the ref to give the penalty because it's not going to affect the result. Yep. So anyway, I think we'll leave the uh, the varsical talk there, but I just want to end it with this comment from Michael. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and sounds like a duck, it's a duck. It's quackers to think it isn't bias. Yep, if it, uh, if it acts like a hun, behaves like a hun, and gives penalties to the huns, it's probably a hun. <laughs> All right, now for the fun part, Liam. Mm-hmm. Our next league game mm. is a month and a day away, 17th of December against Aberdeen. We currently have a nine-point gap at the top of the league. Loving it. How mm. good is that? Yep. So, I want to go. I want to get your feelings right now on mm. how do you think things are shaped up for us so far this season, just in general. Well, as a as a child of the eighties, I used to watch the A team quite a bit, and I've probably used this quote before, but uh, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> it's all coming together beautifully. Um, Look, Europe was a bit of a washout, but to be honest, it was our first shot at the Champions League in five years. And I think in every game bar the last one, we were at least competitive, right? Luck goes a different way on the night. We could have got draws, we could have got wins. Um, But, you know, all in, I think we proved that we, we, we belong at that level. The next step up is next year trying to win at that level. But in the meantime, domestic dominance just continues. Um, we are a cut above anything else in Scotland. Um, and now, it is good that on one hand we're winning and our supposed main rivals are actively imploding in real time right in front of us, which is a joy to watch. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I really, yeah, I, I, I don't see how this season could have gone any better so far. Apart from losing one match, we've done everything perfectly. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Like, it's going well. Um, some of the football hasn't been as great as it could be, but I actually think that's the World Cup breaks come at a really good time for us because it's not just us going through it, but it's like there's so many games being played to make room for this World Cup because it's in a stupid part of the calendar. So for me, it just makes absolutely no sense like to get too worried. Like we'll come out of this, we'll come down into Australia, get some sun, get, get a few games under our belt, do some training and off we go. So yeah, I'm looking at it going, I'm not too stressed about it. We're, this time last year, as Paul said in the comments, compare our position to this time last year. Yeah. This time last year, where were we? Second on the ladder? Something yeah. like that? Third, some, second or third? A few points behind. You were saying this time last year, Liam, and you said on your fearless prediction going into last season that if we were, with, were within six points, if we were within six points at the at the break, you said we'd win the league. Well, yeah. we're nine points ahead now, so <laughs> I don't want to be like I don't want to be like Ange and calling it early because he goes, "You love to call it early in this league." But oh, it's been great seeing some of the uh, Rangers, you know, the Hun mobs like <laughs> Void saying it's done. Uh, um, yeah, uh, to, to those Huns that were that were sending us DMs unwarranted at the end of the the. Neil Lennon season, I just want to say, get it right up, everyone. <laughs> because it's really been great to watch. Um, they, uh, 
the, the only thing funnier than than Celtic beating Rangers is watching Rangers beat Rangers. <laughs> so when the fans turn on each other, it's uh, oh, it's a good laugh. It's a really good laugh. <laughs> yeah. So I think overall in the league, like you look at how many goals we scored, we're on track to smash our league record. And best in the season was like a hundred and three or something like that in the invincible mm-hmm. treble season. So. You know, if we go out and keep going, scoring at the rate we're scoring, then we're looking at around about 120 plus goals for the season. Um, yeah, only the one loss, and the the squad depth has really improved. There's only we've got to be picky. Like I don't, I'm not going to put too much effort in worry about Europe because, as you said, Liam, it's first time back at that level in five years, and I'm not really um, too fussed by that, but. Yeah, it's just I think the only only little issue that I could possibly see is that I don't think we properly replaced Rogic when he left the club. That's the only thing that I think we could have done better. Like mm. our wing positions are good, our strikers are good, our our defense is settled. Our midfield is good, but I think what we're missing is that type of one player in that 10 who can just find those little pockets to slip those balls through to Kyogo running through or Maeda running through that Rocket used mm. to get in and just push in. If I'm really being picky, that's the one thing that I wish we still had Rogic at the club for that reason. But he's moved on. Mm. But, yeah, everything's okay. What I would say, just just to pick up on that, now, I I agree with you that we're missing a Tom Rogic type, but I think, slowly but surely, as time goes on, I think Rio Hatati is starting to grow into that role. Um, I've noticed, particularly in the last three or four games, when the rest of the team have been a wee bit flat at times, he has been the one stepping forward and making things happen. He's the one playing those penetrating passes. He did that beautiful one-two with Haksabanovic for the winning goal last week. You know, it's um, Hatate. If he can just maybe add a few more goals to his game, he could be the the Rogic replacement. I think. Yeah, I, I can see that, and also I've said as well that O'Reilly, I he's doing a job for us at the moment, but I'd rather him in the ten. And I think he'll probably be able to do that that role for us in the second half of the season. If he plays in the 10 once Kelmack is back in, if Kelmack recovers and he's back in the squad soon enough. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's still enough guys in the squad who can do that. But, yeah, I just I just, I just, just miss Tom Rogic in the hoops. That's all it is. Let's be honest. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally understand that, especially because... The other really sad reality is that if he was still at Celtic, he would almost certainly be in that World Cup squad. Exactly. Um, he kind of shot himself in the foot with that one, unfortunately. There you go, Magnet67. Rio is superb. His range and accuracy of passing is frightening, and he's only going to get better. Agree. More goals would be good too. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll come with time because you see him taking on shots more and more in games now. He's starting to find his range. Um I think, uh, I'll make a wee prediction here, I think Hatate will get 10 to 12 goals before the end of the season. I think that'll happen. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I'd like to see that. What's he on now? Probably four, something like that? Yeah, sorry, I mean a further 10 or 12 on top of whatever he's got already. Okay, cool, yeah. That'd be good to see. But yeah, there's plenty to like about this team and they're just so enjoyable to watch and I can't wait to see them on Sunday. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) <laughs> there's, a, there's a good one Michael Rosario needs to ditch the blue gum shield <laughs> Do you know Being slightly serious right? A lot, of, a lot of Celtic fans have said that And What I've often said in response is A bigger question should be why the hell does he need to wear A gum shield in the first place Because the refs don't protect him Exactly Because exactly, we play in a country full of hammer throwers Happy days yeah, so I think the last thing really to touch on here is I'm going to bring up a few comments that people have put in about a, one guy in particular. So, Juranovic. Hmm. 
talk is that it looks like his contract negotiations have been unsuccessful. And then a further comment is looks like he'll be sold. So we go open for bidding on Juranovic. And then Michael Rossi is like, hope, let's hope he has a great World Cup. So based on all of them, there's been rumours floating around that he's, he is wanting out anyway. So he's one of those guys I was referring to early on when I was saying that I think Ange will have his list of two or three players ready to go in each position. But, yeah, we've got we've got Ralph Stinio ready to go, to jump mm-hmm. right in there and get on with it. So I think Ralston can jump up, jump straight in there, and off we go. I'm not really I – I haven't seen much of a drop-off at all this season or a difference between the two guys. No, no, I mean, that's the thing. Um, you don't want to lose anybody of Juranovic's class, but – Looking at the team, the position, what, what else we have in terms of personnel, that's a guy we can afford to lose, especially now that Europe's out of the equation. I would have no hesitation playing Tony Ralston in every game in, in that fullback position until the end of the season if we had to. No hesitation whatsoever. Because not only is he an excellent deputy for Juranovic, he's actually in the last few games, I think, been better than Juranovic was at his peak. I really think Ralston has been one of the best, most consistent performers, even when the overall the team's form has dipped a wee bit and we haven't scored that many goals. Ralston is still putting in those last-ditch tackles. He's putting absolutely beautiful cross-field balls in. Um, he's he's really, really stepping up. And uh, I almost kind of hope Juranovic does get a good move because then we can use that money to strengthen the team in other areas because I think right back is covered. 100% Liam, like I'm just trying to get something up on my phone for the next topic, but yeah, I agree with you on, um, on that because like, let's look at it. He's 20, is he 27? Something like that, 28? Yeah. So he's at the point where he's got that one big move left. So he's got to this point if he goes and he does well at the World Cup and he gets a move for, say, $20 million plus, for instance, yeah. then that's big money for a 20, 26, uh, 27-, 28-year-old for Celtic. You've got Ralston who can jump in and be a starter and we're not going to really drop off much. Now, Michael in the comments says, so JJ goes and Ralston gets injured, then who plays? Good point. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're talking about Ange early on having a list and having identified players already so that – if Juranovic is going to be sold and we can bring in, say, $20 million, then you go invest $5 million on a starting player. Okay, if we get $15 million, for instance, let's be honest, get some, we'll get eight figures at least for him. Mm-hmm. Invest $5 million into a player, maybe 3 to $5 million, get another player to come in at the same same sort of thing, and off you go again. As long as... You know, I just realised, though, on Sunday I'm going to get to see John Joe Kenny play. <laughs> That's right. Aye, Christ. It's a right back from the past. Aye. Well, maybe uh, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll he'll ship a goal like he did against Rangers. <laughs> Make it lucky. Yeah, but if Granovich goes, Ange would have been would have identified two two or three guys that he'd be happy with bringing in, and it's just a matter of okay, how much do we bring in for him? Move him on, and then off we go. We've already got Kobayashi coming in. He's a left-sided centre-back, so he's, that's good. We're strengthening there. But the other guy who can play at right-back, who has in the past, is Welsh has played right-back. So if we got desperate and there was injuries, you could play him there. But I'd rather we didn't. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is that um, if, like you say, just say, for example, we get $12 million for Juranovic, which I, which I think is a fair a fair price. Um, but I think it could easily be more than that if, as I think might happen, Croatia get to the last eight or possibly even the last four of the World Cup and he's part of that team. Um, what I what I would see is that with a manager like Ange going into these kind of unfancied markets as we talked about before, I think we'd be much better buying, for example, three players at four million rather than one player at 10 million and you know, what, 10 million plus or whatever. Um, Celtic are not in the position now where we can we can sign players for 
nine, ten, twelve million anymore. We just we, we can't. It's, it just doesn't make economic sense to do that unless you're pulling in EPL levels of income. It doesn't make sense. It's the and, wages. Like if you're going to spend eight, nine million on a player, then it's the wages and the agent fees on top of it. It's just going to be. You're easily doubling it. You're probably du- close to doubling it over the over the duration of a of a five year contract or whatever. Um, and also, there's no guarantee you'll get any of that back because the player could just run his contract down. Um, exactly. So yeah, I really do think that it's it it makes more sense to um to bring in a couple of players or maybe three players from these lesser known markets and. Uh, build them up, and then a year or two down the line, if even one of them becomes another Juranovic, you've covered yourself. Slight issue with that, Liam. Mm-hmm. There's only 11 jerseys available, there's no reserve league, and we've got a bunch of guys clogging up our list that we need to move on first. So that's the only issue I can see. Just if Juranovic moves on, I do not want to see the Stephen O'Donnell to Celtic rumours starting again. Done. No. Don't. No. Anyone tags me in it on Twitter, anything. <laughs> yeah, you're asking for a backhander. Aye. Aye. Um, no, no, that, that, that's aye, that, that's not somewhere wrong. To be honest, I think the whole B team thing is a is a failed experiment now. I really do. The I whole thing of the a... I, I, I mean in terms it. of them playing at the level they're playing at, it's clearly not issue. a good you know, we should have what Bayern Munich and Barcelona have. We should have a B team playing in the, you know, third or fourth tier of Scottish football, not the sixth, you know. The issue we've had, right, is it's been that much of a pain in the ass to even get the teams into the Lowland League. Yeah. And that they can't get promoted, that it's going to be a bit of a pain. But hmm. I'd like to see our team playing. I like the rule they've got in, I think it's Germany, where you've got to play two divisions below your senior team. Yeah. So there was a thing, I think, it, I can't remember which team, I think it was Stuttgart got relegated, right? Yeah. And their team, so they were in the Bundesliga, got relegated, yet their team won the third division, but then because their first team dropped down to the third. They got bumped down to the fourth. They got bumped down to the fourth. Oh, so that's how it is. that's how it's structured in Germany. In Spain, you can be one one level below. So you'd have the equivalent of you could have our B team playing in the in the championship, but in the German system, you can you'd only be able to play in like League One. Yeah. So and yeah. look look at it the other way. If you are a team like for example, when I when I used to live in Cumbernauld, my local team was Clyde. Right, Clyde are I think either League One or League Two now, I can't remember. But they are a, you know, a league club, but a very small league club. Average gate is maybe about five to eight hundred on a good week. Um I think they would comfortably double that if Celtic or Rangers reserves came to town. So right. every sort of team in that league would yeah. It's uh it's good for these you know, the problem is Celtic and Rangers can't get into these like the championship or League One or League Two and it's, with all due respect, it's teams like Cowden Beef, Forfer, and Falkirk that are objecting to it. And it's like, well, guys, you're cutting off your own, you're cutting your own throats here because the money, the extra money you would get from having those teams come to your stadium twice a season is more than going to cover it. Yeah, so we got a couple of comments here about this. So, Magnet67. Bring back the reserve league where first team is away, reserves are at home against the same clubs. Yep, and include it and in yep. the season ticket because that's what it used and to yep. be as well. And then the follow-up is if the SPFL would stop selling our games to the Sky Crooks cheap, clubs could afford a proper reserve teams. Yeah. So I agree with that. What I'd like to see, though, is if we're going to be doing up, um, was it Barrowfield or was that the one around the corner? Aye, right. yeah, Barrowfield. Yeah, if we're going to be doing that and building a um, like a little little smaller stand there for the women's games to play there, the B team could play there. Great. And then, as you're saying, you can structure it. So, okay, we've got a midday kickoff at Celtic Park. Structure the um, the B team or the women's team to kick off at 
3 p.m. and people could do the double, go from one to the other or to three o'clock kickoff at Celtic Park, you'd have a midday kickoff there. You make a day right. of it. And incentivize it. Say something like, you know, buy a ticket for the, the game at Celtic Park and get a ticket for the women's game for a, a fiver or a tenner or whatever, yeah. you know. Then people are coming in. If, if they've got to travel in from, say, if you live, someone lives out by Dunfermline or, you know, it's a bit of a time to travel down there. I'm just picking a random place on top of my head. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to drive down. You're going to have to find parking, whatever. You make a day of it. You can see two games in a day, bring the kids, whatever. Good family day out. Good for local businesses as well. If you own a cafe or whatever run about there, you could start offering lunchtime specials to the fans between the matches and whatever, you know. Yeah, it's uh, anyway. It makes economic sense for the whole area. But you know, we we did that whole preseason thing where we spoke about all this sort of stuff. Anyway, <laughs> pie in the sky stuff. But mm. we'll get back to it. So, podcast. The boys are down under. Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of pies, did you see the look on Chris Boyd's face at the weekend? <laughs> uh, sorry. No, Carry on. So, <laughs> So tomorrow tomorrow night, about this time tomorrow, we'll be in the middle of a game against Sydney FC at, um, what's it, Allianz Stadium. So I was looking at the Sydney lineup and from their last game. So their, their starting goalkeeper is away with the Socceroos. So that takes Redmayne out of it. They've got Ryan Grant, Donaghy, Gerd, Alonso, Bratton, Mark, Yuki, Zagibi, Caceres, Lolly, and Wood. So their lineup has changed quite a lot from the last couple of seasons. So, and then their bench has got Burgess, Howard Bell, still starting goals. He's actually quite decent. Um, the coach, Steve Corica. They're, um, yeah, they're, they're an interesting team. Like Sydney have won the most A League titles. Off the top of my head, I think they've got one more than Melbourne Victory. And Brisbane's a couple off. But, yeah, so they're the most successful team in the league over here in terms of winning winning the league overall. So it'll be a good game. Um, they haven't played too many at their new at their stadium since it's been renovated. And, um, yeah, they I think they, they haven't won a game at, at, the, at the stadium they're back at. So... Yeah, it'll be good to get out there, get the crowd turn up. I'll um, be watching it on my TV back here. And, um, yeah, so we've got that going on. So I'm th- I'm thinking Ange is going to play a pretty solid lineup. He's brought most guys out. He's brought out three of the younger guys. So uh, Scott Robinson's come out and you've got Boson Lawwell and Rocco Varda. So I'm thinking that game is a good chance for us to see those guys play. So... Yeah, I think Andrew go probably sixty minutes where he goes hard, and then you know he normally after an hour he makes that triple sub. Wouldn't surprise mm. me to see Lawwell and um, Lawwell and uh, Varda come on at some point in that game. So that'll be good to see them guys from the B team in the mix to see how far off they are or if they're in the, in and about it. So that'll yeah, be good. And Paul Brannigan in the comments: Sydney is red and black. Yeah. <laughs> have to agree with you. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Mm. Fun fact, uh, I saw Sydney FC actually play, uh, God, about five or six years ago in Osaka in the World Club Championship. They, uh, they played, I think it was either Barcelona or AC Milan, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I think it was Barcelona. Yeah, so... That was that's that's as much as I know about this team. I'm afraid I saw them play once in Japan about five or six years ago. And that's it. They're the sort of team that they wouldn't be out of place in Scottish football. That if mm. they like to play physical, they're big and they're physical, so they don't mind leaving the boot in. Mm. This is, I'm talking historically here. I haven't seen them play this season because I haven't been paying too much attention to the A League. But they don't mind leaving the boot in and um, yeah, get out there or get a win. I think we'll probably do them three ones, my guess. Yeah, I'll 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 go two nil. I'll go two nil. But I think um I think it's one of those games where you have about eight or nine substitutions at half time, so it might not 
have the best flow to it, but hopefully it'll be a good spectacle for all you guys to enjoy anyway. And then on Sunday, we're playing against Everton. Sean has recorded a pod preview podcast for that game, which will come out on Friday, which he recorded with a couple of Everton fans. So oh, excellent. keep an eye out for that on the channel. That'll be out on both the YouTube channel and the podcast apps as usual. And then Liam, you and Laura have been recording World Cup shows for the channel as well. So we'll be getting yeah. them released. So yeah. how's that all going? Look, well, the, the, the first batch will be hitting uh, towards the end of this week. And we are looking at trying to get at, at least get our profiles of each individual. We're doing all 32 teams in the tournament, giving them all about 20 minutes each. And we're looking to try and get them all done before the teams play their first game. So if you're sitting down to watch Tunisia or Iran or uh, Ecuador, teams you know very little about, give our show a wee watch and you might just uh, learn a thing or two about that team. And you'll also probably hear me hear me say some completely culturally inappropriate things, but hey, that's life. <laughs> hey, hey, let's go. That's all it's all about. Yeah. All right, so what I'll do is I'll give a quick little plug. So Celtic, as you can see on the screen, at Celtic Down on both Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't given either both of them a follow, please do so. On Facebook, you can find our page and our group, Celtic Down Under. Just look for the uh, Boxing Kangaroo logo. On YouTube, Celtic Down Under YouTube channel, give that a subscribe, like the video, helps us with the algorithm. And then we've got a, running across the bottom here. It says Celtic Down Under merchandise is now available at www.celticdownunder.square.site. I'm going to eventually get that flicked over back to our proper website, celticdownunder.com, but technical difficulties aren't allowing that to happen at the moment. So there's a print on demand stuff on there for t shirts. We can get white or black t shirts, there's hoodies as well, and there's men's T-shirts, women's T-shirts, and then unisex hoodies available on there. So jump on there. If you like what you see, have a look at the size charts, pick the size that's going to fit you, and then place your order, and it's all print-on-demand. So you'll you'll order them, you'll get made, and it'll be shipped straight to your door. Now, last thing to get through on the podcast is our uh, Twitter Q&A. So there's only a couple of questions. I think we had three of them, so here we go. I'm just going to bring the questions up because I've just accidentally shut them down. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, so uh, Mitch has asked, Angela did two to three seasons at Raw, victory, Marinos, and he's getting his second at Celtic. How long do you think he has left until he tries his hand in the UK or Europe? I think he'll want one more year in the Champions League and move on. What do you think, Liam? I think another two years. Um, one more year to be competitive in the Champions League and another year to have a serious tilt at getting into the further stages, of, into the, final, the the later stages of the tournament. I reckon two more years. But what yeah, I I'm hope thinking. is that Ange puts in place a framework that will continue after he's gone. Yeah, I'm thinking same deal. It's going to be probably... Normally he's about three years, but... Because his first gig in Europe, I think he'll be a little reluctant to just jump the gun at anything that's thrown his way as well. So I think, yeah, we'll have him this season and hopefully two more. Now, Bad Bolshevik. Here you go. That's a good name. <laughs> How do Australian football commentators, football fans, etc., rate Antipostokoglu's achievements at Celtic? And do you think he'll ever manage the national team again? I don't think he'll manage the national team again. But I think the fact that he's just gone into Football Australia's uh, Hall of Fame this week is um, so pretty much sums it up. Like everyone here looks at looks at him and goes, "Ange, he can he knows his stuff. He's like the oracle of Australian football at the moment. Like he he's on another level." And God, it's good to see guys are following his footsteps and are doing well. Like. Uh, Kevin Musket just won the J-League title with Marinos pretty much with Ange's team. So he's done that twice now. 
The team mm-hmm. Ange built at Melbourne Victory, he took over and won the title the following year. And then the same deal in, in Japan. So, yeah, it's, um, I think everyone, you'll see on the weekend with the crowds and all this sort of stuff, it's going to be a fair bit going on. So, yeah, he's pretty well, um, pretty well loved over here. I would just add something to that now. You know, obviously, despite despite today's outfit, I am not Australian. Um, never been to Australia, but I hope I can go someday. But um, I do have quite a few friends from Australia that I've met in Japan and elsewhere. And these are guys who are not Celtic fans. But you ask any of them about Ange, and it's, oh, God, I wish he was still managing the national team. I think that speaks volumes about it. These are guys that don't even really know Celtic that well. But they know tangentially what Celtic are doing because of Ange. And they all say to a man, Ange should still be managing the Socceroos. So uh, I think that that speaks for itself, you know. Now I'll bring up a couple other things here. So Liam O'Connor, how how mate? Um, and he's put in about and agreed two years and move on. How do we replace Kennedy? No. Harry Kuehl? Possibly. Would not surprise me because Harry's, there's interviews he's done on Optus Sports recently saying that how much he's loving it. Magnet 67, musket to Sevco. No chance. No chance. They, they, um, Sevco couldn't afford what Yokohama are paying him because I know they paid a good lot, a good amount of money to get him to go there. So, And then Edward of Oz, Y of Oz is talking about if Andrew come back to the Australian national team. National team donors or executives gave him the shits 100%. Aye. Aye. And just a no BS kind of guy and unfortunately from what I hear it sounds like the Australian FA have a lot of the same problems the Scottish FA have too many suits and not enough actual workers. Too many people who think have a inflated ego of their own abilities. Is pretty much the way I would sum them up. And the last question here was, what's your opinion in the introduction of VAR referred to about 20 minutes ago? <laughs> I think that sums that up there. So, yeah, give we, me a minute uh, while I Google what's Japanese for utter shite. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. a bit of a shit show. Yeah. So last couple of things here. Vanessa... And Michael have asked similar sort of things. So, Michael's, what kind of crowd is expected, guys? Now, Celtic fans mean, mostly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So, and then Vanessa was any idea of ticket sales to the two games? So, rumours are ticket sales haven't been great for the Sydney FC game or for the Everton Western Sydney game next week. So, we're playing in a stadium that's about 45,000, 50,000, something like that. And I think it'll probably be half full. That's just being that's being honest. Like, I don't think that's going to be a full house for the Sydney game. I know there was um, a bunch of free tickets available in terms of competitions and stuff with a whole bunch of freebies being given out for tomorrow night's game. So, yeah, that's going to be a... That's not the main event, though. The main event, Sunday. Um, yeah. I know quite a few people, about five or six off the top of my head, who were going up, flying up Sunday morning to go to the game. And they're not going to make it in time. Like their plan was they were going to leave they were going to leave Melbourne at around about 11, 11.30 flight, get in an hour and a half from Melbourne to Sydney, so get in around about 1 o'clock. Now, Sydney Airport is way out on the East Coast. The stadium's in on in town, so you'd have to get like a 20, 30-minute 20, train from the airport into the cent, in the central station, then get the 25-minute train out to then get walk across to the stadium, then get to your seat. It's going to be touch and go and making it on time. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really see. So those, a lot of those people... I know, but I know other people who were flying up in the Arvo because they had kids and they were arranging things and they had their kids and they had parties and stuff to go to. So it was like, oh, yeah, I'll fly up after that, 3 o'clock, I'll get up there in time for the game at 
7.45 and now that's not going to happen. So, yeah, the Sunday game, I'm, I'm pumped it's a daytime game. I actually like it, but, yeah, a bit disappointing, I think. I won't be a seller. It's an 80,000 stadium. I reckon they'll be lucky to get – if they half fill it, they'll own 40,000, 50,000 maybe. Could it be one of those ones that you sometimes see over in Scotland where they might – you know, give 20,000 tickets to local schools or something just to fill it out? Wouldn't surprise me at all. Hmm. Yep. So I think that's where we leave the podcast today. Um, final thoughts. I'll go with mine yep. and we'll have a laugh with yours, because it's always good for Liam to end it on a laugh for us. But mm-hmm. uh, I just want to give a shout out to the um, – to two particular CSCs in Australia at the moment. The Perth CSC coming across from Western Australia are putting on a bus instead of everyone flying from Perth to Sydney, driving across the Nullarbor to Adelaide up to Sydney. About a 43, 44-hour-long bus trip. That's dedication. Well done, guys. And the other guys I wanted to give a shout-out to was the Sydney City CSC and their pub, Scruffy Murphy's. I saw a picture that was shared yesterday of them getting their first half of their keg delivery for the week. And, (laughs) yeah, if that's what they're expecting, it's going to be a messy weekend. But all the the work that those guys have put in, um, Paul, if you're in the comments, are you part of Western Sydney CSC? If you are, please send me a send me a message on Twitter at Celtic Down because I'm gonna I want to find out what you guys are doing as well and give you a plug on here as well. But yeah, there's the Western Sydney one, which is probably closer to the stadium for the match on Sunday. The Sydney City one, they get they're the ones who are right in the centre of town, halfway between both stadiums. So yeah, it's going to be a full house and there's plenty of going on and hope everyone enjoys it. So for my final thought, um, I'm going to I'm going to address the unfortunate elephant in the room. Um, England play Iran next week. There are questions raised as to whether they should even be allowed into the tournament. Rampant human rights violations. A government that doesn't hesitate to brutalise their own people. But football is football. And I don't think it's fair to hold the England players accountable for the Tory government. Thank you very much. <laughs> Off the back of that, quickly, Paul's in the comments saying that the Western Sydney CSC, they're at the Penrith Gales Club. So if anyone's staying out go. west, that's where it'll be out on all weekend as well. So thanks for that, Paul. And, um, and their jokes will be better than mine, hopefully. One other thing, though, I want to refer to the World Cup. Iran's badge that they've made up for on the screen during the tournament. <laughs> Ooh, ah, up the... We'll leave it right there. Back to you next week. Hail, hail. We're doing a white as well, just to top it off. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right, chat next week, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. How how? Crikey, mate.